remain standing for the reading of the word tonight. As Aaron had shared, we're going to be reading out of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 11. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the Apostles. Last of all, as to the one untimely born, He also so he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that's within me. Whether then it is I or they, so we preached, and you believed." Heavenly Father, Lord, I just uh, ask that you'd help us to all realize that this is not just some fable story, that this is uh, what happened. And we just thank you, Lord, that uh, you died on the cross for us. It's uh, hard to understand that kind of love, and we thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. He was brutally murdered and tortured. He's a criminal in shame and dishonor, yet without sin. It's good for that reason. But God's goodness is consistently questioned. How could a good God allow bad things to happen? Why would a good God allow His Son, in some sense, Why would a good God allow His Son to be tortured in such a way? So my hope and prayer this evening is that we understand this more and more. Almost every Sunday and every Wednesday when we gather as God's people, well, I can probably turn it on. I can also be loud. All right. There it works. Well, almost every Sunday and Wednesday as we gather with God's people here at Cornerstone, I repeat a phrase. You probably can recite it by now. It is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so tonight and Sunday, on Easter Sunday, we will consider that word gospel. Why it's important. Gospel means good news. 
And Good Friday and Easter Sunday Church is good news. And we celebrate that and we will remember the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so before we look at that good news in 1 Corinthians 15, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you again for this time to consider in your word what you would have of us. God, would you teach us? Would you correct us? Would you help us to worship you? As the prayer goes, hide me behind the cross so that they may see thee, not me. God, would we see you this evening? In Jesus' name, amen. So I'll reread the first bit of 1 Corinthians 15 for us again. Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So about 20 years after the resurrection occurred, Paul established this church in Corinth. If we were to spend some time in this letter, maybe one day we will as a church, you will see that this church forgot a lot of the gospel. And they went into lots of sin and deviancy. They had a lot of questions about how to live life. And Paul addresses a lot of that in this letter. They had forgotten the gospel, maybe five years after Paul had even planted this church. And as a result of this, Paul commands them in verse 1 to remember. He says to remember the gospel. This is what he preached to them. He didn't preach seven ways to have a better marriage or five ways to have better finances or three ways to have a proper parenting. He preached the gospel. He preached the good news that God saves sinners to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Having received the gospel, they needed to be reminded of the gospel. Maybe today is the first time you ever have heard the gospel. Maybe today is the hundredth time or the thousandth time. Maybe ten thousand times. Who knows how many times you have heard the gospel. They struggled in Corinth, even though they had heard the gospel. And so Paul was reminding them of that. And so church, as we gather this evening... Maybe you're struggled to believe the gospel. Maybe you need to be reminded of the gospel yourself, that it is a sure foundation. It is a steady anchor. It's the ballast of a ship that keeps us afloat. Paul says it's the gospel that saved them and also how they are being saved. So presently they are saved and they are also looking forward to this future salvation that is going to take place. That's something that look forward to. This is a, an early creed of the early church. The fundamentals of the Christian faith on which Christian identity rests is in the gospel. Paul simply reminds them the gospel is what they need to hold on to. And when we hold on to it, our lives and the efforts, Paul says, they're not in vain. They're not wasted. They're not useless. Good Friday, friends, is of utmost importance. It's easy to say the gospel is the good news, that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But it's another thing to believe it. It's another thing to live in light of that. And so let's not waste another Good Friday, let alone another gathering as God's people. Let's build our lives on this gospel. 
And Paul simply and emphatically reminds the Corinthians what the gospel is in verses 3 and 4. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. So the reality of Jesus' life and ministry is not of second importance. It's not a, I'll get to it sometime. It's not a, maybe I'll consider it next week. It is of first and primary importance. The gospel is not just a series of facts to repeat that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, that he grew up in Nazareth, that he said some really important things, that he healed some people, that he died on a cross, that he was buried, that he was raised. The gospel is the message of God's grace to sinners like you and like me. God's grace of unmerited favor to save us from our sins. Paul says the first importance is his death. Friends, Jesus died. His death is true death. In all four Gospels, it illustrates and it depicts the story of Jesus dying. Nobody questions that he's actually had died. Paul says his first importance is his death. He emphasizes, though, why Jesus died. He says he died for our sins. He didn't die as a good teacher. He didn't die like the rest of us will. He died for our sins. The Corinthians heard, they accepted, they believed these things, but they had forgotten. And they didn't continue to rightly understand and rightly apply and rightly live in light of these gospel truths. And so Paul needed to remind them. It's why his death to us is good news as well. He died for our sins. His death is special. Today, I looked it up. Over 325,000 people will die today in the world. That's a lot of death. But Jesus' death is not like every other death. He died for our sins. And in order to understand this, I think there's three things that we need to remember. Three things to remember. And remember who God is, who we are, and how God relates to us in light of those two facts. And so first, to understand why Jesus died for our sins, we must ask the question of who is God? We must know something about God. God is holy. God is perfect. In creation, you're familiar with the story in Genesis 1 and 2, He created everything and He called it good. I wish it just stopped there. Maybe you do too. But we must also know something about ourselves, about man. Second, we must know that God created Adam and Eve. God told them, you can eat of any tree in the garden except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He warned them that even if they did eat of that tree, that they would die. But they didn't listen. They disobeyed. And so we inherit a sin nature from Adam and Eve, our first parents. Paul says this to the Roman church in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. Where God is holy, and we have sinned, we have inherited this sin nature from our forefathers. We're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. It is in our nature. We cannot not sin. All of us are sinners. God is holy. We are not. Third, there's a consequence to sin. God is holy, so in His perfect justice, He must 
punish sin. If he didn't, he wouldn't be just. If he didn't, he wouldn't be righteous. If he didn't, he wouldn't be God. Exodus 34, 6 and 7 says that God will not clear the guilty. Eternally, God is holy and punishing sin is consistent with his holiness. God is what theologians call simple. He cannot be divided into parts like a waffle. You know, you have each little square of a waffle and he's, you know, each of these little parts. God is not like that where one square is holy, one square is just, one square is good, one square is merciful, one square is love. God is, cannot be divided into that way. He cannot cease to be just while exercising His mercy. Justice requires that every sin be rightly punished with an appropriate, temporal, eternal consequence. God said that they would die, and if they did not die, God would have been a liar, and we would remain in our sins. And Paul is here reminding the Corinthians that God is holy, man is sinful, but God has grace towards sinners through the gospel. The good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Friends, good news comes from bad news. God saves us from our sin and the consequences of our sin through the perfect life, through the substitutionary death of Jesus on our behalf. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Churches don't like to talk about sin much. The world doesn't like to be called out on their sin. Deep inside, I think every person knows there's a consequence to sin. I was talking with one of our members this week who was sharing the gospel with a coworker, and the coworker didn't even know that this Friday was Good Friday and Sunday was Easter. They were just completely oblivious, had no idea what these holidays were even for. But when they started talking about the gospel with this coworker, they knew what hell and sin was. They said, oh, hell is where I'll go and burn one day. This is not a joke. This is of primary importance. One theologian I was reading on this, he says, when we confess that we believe in the forgiveness of sins, we are affirming an entire theology of creation to the fall into sin, to God's work of redemption, to Christ's eternal kingdom. All of Christian faith leads to forgiveness of sins and it rests on the work of God. Sin is real. Sin is the cause of all bad things in the world, directly and indirectly. Paul told this church already a few chapters prior in chapter 6, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Cornerstone, that's us. I'm glad Paul doesn't end there, though. He says, But you were washed, you were sanctified. 
you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Psalm 143.2, For no one living is righteous before you. 1 John 1.8, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Friends, the Bible is clear. We are born into sin. But... Jesus died for our sins. Good Friday is really, really good. For the Christian, sin is saying nothing less than, I'm God. We must understand, we cannot ignore sin. We can't choose good because we are not good. And I was talking to someone yesterday, and we were talking about Easter and Good Friday services, and she was mentioning she ran into somebody at Walmart, and the person at Walmart was asking her, you know, someone out front was asking her, well, how do you go to heaven? Are you going to go to heaven? She said, yeah, of course I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a good person. Vermonters are great people. She's from New Hampshire. Jesus didn't come to die for good people. He came to die for sinners like us. Sin offends people. It doesn't attract a crowd. Easter egg hunts do. But not preaching about sin. But our job is to tell the truth. Many don't like it. Because many don't want to give up on their sin. We can't minimize sin. There's no such thing as a white lie or an honest mistake. All sins are against a holy God. James says this, For whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, has become guilty of it all, against a holy and infinite God. The consequences of sin are infinitely horrible. But true Christianity says, God forgives sins. Every other world religion says that you must do something to earn God's favor, but not with Christianity. In Jesus, God does it for us. All we have to do is believe, and it's good news, because we are saved by Jesus and His death for our sins. It's the good news that God saves sinners. Not you save yourself, that God saves sinners because we cannot do it on our own. We believe that the perfect God-man, Jesus, lived a perfect life without sin. And since He is man, He substitutes Himself in our place. In the Incarnation, the second member of the Trinity, God's Son, took on flesh, not ceasing to be God, but He added to His divinity humanity. And since He is God, He can also cover an infinite amount of sins. All of my sins, all of your sins, all of the sins of the entire world, if they were to believe in Him. Only man can be the substitute, and only God can perfectly atone for it all. Following Jesus is not easy believism. We can just leave our sins behind us. But the battle before us is long and arduous. The Corinthians forgot that, and so they struggled. Jesus died for our sins. It's of first importance, and that's why we celebrate Good Friday. It's a Good Friday because it's part of the good news, the gospel that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. 
And before we close, it wasn't enough for Paul to say that Jesus did die, just died, that he was buried. Not only do we know where he buried, where he was buried, we know who buried him, a rich man and a former Pharisee. Only dead people are buried, so we know that he truly died. This is good news because Jesus absorbs God's perfect wrath and judgment. His death pleases the Father as the perfect substitute for you and for me. His death justifies us. It's a perfect standing before a holy God that we get because of His work. Paul tells the Corinthians in his follow-up letter, For our sake He made Him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. By dying, Jesus gets the wrath that we deserved. But by believing, we get the righteousness that Jesus had and eternal life that comes with it. Jesus' death was scandalous. An innocent man dying for guilty people. Not only does Jesus' death pay for our sins, it delivers us from the continued power of sin in our lives. Jesus' death was unique because his death was for all who trust in him, not just a small people group who were born into a certain family. His death was unique because it fulfilled the scriptures as well, as Paul said, as according to the scriptures. Prophesied in Genesis 3, God said that the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. When Isaac was offered by Abraham, his father, on Mount Moriah, Abraham was said in Hebrews that he knew that his son would be resurrected from the dead. But God didn't have Abraham sacrifice his son. He didn't spare his son, though, Jesus, in response. And Jesus was sacrificed on a cross on the same hill that Abraham took his boy, Isaac. Jesus is the Passover lamb from Exodus. He's the shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep because the Lord is our shepherd. All scripture points to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. It's of first importance. This Corinthian church had been following Jesus for years, and they needed these reminders. Can we admit that we need reminders too? When we fall into sin, when we doubt our faith, when we struggle to believe, consider these reminders, even this evening. Jesus died in accordance with the scriptures to deliver us from our sin. He died for our sins. He was raised for our justification. We cannot talk about Good Friday without talking about Easter. He didn't remain in the grave. He rose. We will celebrate that together on Sunday morning. He died and he rose. And those are facts that the scripture helps us to understand, but also what it means. He died for our sins. He rose to give us a newness of life. We don't just repeat facts over and over again. We believe this truth and it transforms everything about us. We believe that when God says he will save us from our sins because of the work of his son on our behalf, that God will save us from our sin. He keeps his promises. We'll look at these truths even more on Sunday morning, and we hope you'd consider joining us for worship. It's either you or Jesus who will die for your sins. If it's Jesus, this is a really good Friday. If it's not, 
it's just another Friday before a Saturday, before a Sunday, that'll eventually lead to a horrible ending. It's Jesus' resurrection that connects to the present, but also a future reality. The tense of the verbs here in verse 4 signifies a completed action again. He died, he was buried. But the resurrection says that he has been raised, again in the perfect tense that we saw up in verse 2, that there's an abiding result of this completed action that means something for us today and also for what we look forward to in the future, that we are being saved and will be saved. And so the gospel is the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so considering Jesus' death, it should lead to humility, where we come as sinners to the cross. We come as sinners to remember this Good Friday. I saw this a while back from a pastor. I can't remember who it was, but it says this, that the gospel sounds very strange to a generation that's been told they're perfect, that loving themselves is virtuous, their heart is always right, and nothing is more important than to be happy. I don't mean to beat you up with these words, but I mean to show you how great our God is for dying for you, and for me. True humility is thinking more of God and less of yourself. Paul says to the Galatian church, But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Knowing God and knowing man, we bring nothing to the table. God earns it all for us. The death of Christ on our behalf should also encourage us who have followed Jesus, even if today is the first day to believe these things, to be steadfast. Paul reminds them in verse 2, so their faith is not in vain. And Paul realizes in verse 9 his own unworthiness of his sin before a holy God. But Paul's response is in verse 10, to work, not earning anything, but responding to what God has already earned for him. Paul worked hard. He preached the gospel so others would believe. He sends this letter to this Corinthian church so that they would believe he remained steadfast to the end. And as the world collapsed upon Paul over and over again, God's word gave him strength. The gospel was Paul's foundation to stand on, and it's ours too. It's all we have. The world is passing away, and if I'd, you haven't been living in this world for the last few years, it's getting worse. It's becoming more hostile. That's why I remind every one of us of the gospel every time I get up here, because we need reminders. We need good news in a world full of bad news. The cross leads us to humility. It gives us courage to remain steadfast. And finally, it leads us and drives us to worship. I asked the question at the very beginning, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Maybe it's better stated by us, based on how the world is, affected by sin, everything corrupted, why does anything good happen? It's because of God. This is good news because there is so much bad news. We can sometimes be the source of the bad news before a holy God. But all we must do is believe. All we must do is have faith in God's word, in his promises, 
as revealed in the work of his son. When he says he will save us from his sins by believing the gospel, the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, he will save sinners. We are saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. And when we diminish sin, we diminish God. When we diminish sin, we diminish the work of Jesus on our behalf. When we diminish sin, we diminish the work of the Spirit living within us to fight our sin and put it to death. And I close with the words of the great Bishop R.C. Ryle. I'm sorry, J.C. Ryle. Are you a distressed believer? Is your heart pressed down with sickness, tried with disappointments, overburdened with cares? To you also I say this day, behold the cross of Christ. This is good news. He died for our sins. And Paul's point is undeserved, unmerited favor, grace, from the free, sovereign love of God in your life and mine. And so Sunday, it's coming. We know what happens. He rises from the dead, and it will be a joyful morning of the reality of the resurrection and the new life we have in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would help us to continue to see who you are. To see who we are in light of who you are. To respond in gratitude for sending your son to die for us. And as we recall this wondrous mystery where you satisfied your own wrath by giving us your beloved Son to bear the wrath deserved for us on his body, on that cross, that Passover evening. Would you help us to not forget your wrath towards sin, but worship you because of the grace that you've given to us in your unchanging righteousness that secures our redemption and the promises that you secure for us because of who you are and what you've done. And all we can do as your people is say thank you. We love you and we want to lift up our voice to seeing how great you are right now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.